This is Greg Lazinski, and you're listening to Baseball BBQ. Hi, this is Gary Mack of the Mets Musings Podcast, and you're listening to Jeff and Len on Baseball and Barbecue, one of my favorite podcasts, and I know it's one of yours, too. The only problem is, after I get done listening to it, I'm hungry. All right, guys, take it away. You guys are in for a treat tonight. Welcome to episode number 42 of Baseball and BBQ. I am Len Aberman, and you are... I am Jeff Cohen. And we are... The Wild and Crazy Guys! Jeff, do you hear the? Do you hear the fans? Wow, they were they were loud. Yeah, we. I can't believe that. Wow, I'm just honored. I'm I'm honored that, that yeah. our fans would be that. I think they're just looking to forward to episode 42 and what we got on. I'm looking forward to it too. Jeff, tell us about episode 42, please. We have former pitcher of the Kansas City Royals and St. Louis Cardinals, Mark Littell. Guys. Mark Littell does not disappoint. The stories that he tells, I mean, Mark Littell is an author, a pitcher, an inventor. He invented a product that, believe me... It it protects the boys. Yes, and a lot of the listeners will want to know about this product and may run out and buy it. Exactly. It's called the Nutty Buddy. That's all we're going to say. But let me tell you something. I haven't laughed that hard in a while. It right, was it right. was really really some good stories. Yeah, it was a good time. You know, he, he played with George Brett, played with Ozzy Smith. Uh, he played for uh, Whitey Herzog. Yeah, those guys are in the Hall of Fame. Yes, uh, really, they are. And he played for Whitey Herzog with both teams. Yeah, right. I I said I during the interview I actually said to him I said well did you know. Whitey Herzog bring you over. He said, well, I got traded first. So I think Whitey Herzog left uh, left the Royals because Mark wasn't there anymore. What was the fun of it? And he went and joined uh, the Cardinals so so he could be with his buddy Mark. Exactly. I think so. Whitey Herzog was the what was he the white rat or the, white, the rat? The rat. The rat. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, guys. And he also talks yeah. about barbecue. Yes. Yes, he right? does. Yes, he talks. Being from Kansas City, uh, being no, from Missouri, Missouri, being from Missouri, he did talk about barbecue. Let's not let's not tell them anymore. Let's just everybody listen to this interview. We really hope that you enjoy it. If you do, or if you don't, either way, we'd like to hear from you. So before we begin it, why don't we give the information on how to contact us? Sure, give us a call five one six eight five five eight two one four. Email us. Baseball and BBQ at gmail.com. Tweet us. Our Twitter address is at Baseball and BBQ. We have an Instagram, which is Baseball and Barbecue. Barbecue all spelled out. We have a website, don't we? Yes, we do. www.baseballandbbq.weebly.com. And of course, you can always reach us on our Facebook. Check us out. Leave us a comment. You know, um, Mark told a lot of funny stories, and as you're giving all this information, it made me think of one. We we got a phone call from someone 
who I, I guess they, I don't know if they listen to the podcast or whatever, but they wanted to know if we cater. Oh, yeah, <laughs> we cater. <laughs> we got a message. They, they wanted to know if we could do catering. So uh, I guess if the podcasting business doesn't work out, uh, <laughs> we'll go into catering. You got it. <laughs> All right, guys. Listen, Mark Littell. Our guest tonight on Baseball and BBQ pitched in Major League for nine seasons, all of them in Missouri. The first four in, in Kansas City in the final five years in St. Louis and was a member of the champion 1982 Cardinals. His teammates include Hall of Famers George Brett, Ozzie Smith, as well as Hall of Fame manager Whitey Herzog. And in our opinion, Keith Hernandez should be in the Hall of Fame. I'm a first hitter, long way <laughs> Then he became a, a minor league pitching coach for the Padres, Brewers, Dodgers, and the Royals for 18 years. He's also the author of two books, On the Eighth Day, God Made Baseball, and Country Boy, Conveniently Wild, available on Amazon and other bookstores. He's also the inventor of the Nutty Buddy, a product that, that protects the boys. Keep the jewels safe. Yes. <laughs> now he spends time with wounded veterans via the Wake Foundation in Missouri and Arkansas, and spends some time in Cuba spreading the gospel of baseball. Please welcome Mark Littell. Mark, how you doing? Well, I'm just fantastic. I'm down in Memphis. Uh, I say the word fantastic because I grew up in this area. Uh, even though I grew up in Missouri, I was about 75 miles to the north in that uh, boot hill that kicks into Arkansas. And the river, I'm sitting right by at about 150 feet, and it's just as calm as all can be. So it's a nice day, except the 96 and the humidity. Excellent, excellent. Um, I'm going to start off. I loved your book on the eighth day. God created base. God made baseball. Yeah. One of the funniest stories that you said that was a day that you, the Royal Scout Gary Blaylock went to your home to sign you. Could you tell us what happened that day? Well, uh, you know, Gary had actually called me a couple days before and said, "Hey, could we meet on uh, is Thursday?" Good, and I said, "Of course." <laughs> and uh, so Gary uh, is actually getting out of his car and. My, I don't know if my dad had this plan, but we had just gotten a new German Shepherd about a, a little bit over a year before that, and he was a pretty big boy, and uh, Gary came up to the door, uh, the side door, and, and tried to knock, but he couldn't, and our, our, our dog, our German Shepherd, just kept getting in between his legs, and uh, the dog, my dad came right to the door and said, damn it, get out of here, and Gary looked up at him and said, what? He said, that's the dog's name. <laughs> that's funny because Jeff always said, what was? What did you want to name the dog? You, uh, you, Jeff, I want to name the dog Stop. Right. Jeff, Jeff, Jeff always thought it would be funny to name a dog Stop. Right? What? Yeah. what? Stop, whatever. Right. <laughs> that's, that's pretty that's funny. Good. Gary Blaylock must have been shocked when he said, get out of here. Well, he was uh, throwing off for a little bit, you know, and then he then he warmed up to us. I guess you know we might say we let him in and say his piece. So it all worked out pretty good. That's great. That's great. You started your minor league career in Billings, Montana. How was it playing in the minors, and how long did it take you to get to the Kansas City? In June, uh, I went up there, and we had a little mini camp, and ended up being five and one there. We had about five players in the big league. I mean, when uh, on that team that were out of high school. And the rest were all college boys, and they kind of gave us a hard time when they could. And, uh, of course, you know, George, he came in a little bit later, three or four days later. He was a late sign, and he was also a second-round pick. And, uh, 
it, it's interesting that there was only three of the, the guys who made it off that team were all high school players. So <clears throat> we had all West Coast type, uh, you know, uh, college players coming in. U- UCLA, USC, uh, Pepperdine. You know, everybody was West Coast. And then, you know, Mark Littell comes in. Hi, I'm Mark Littell. How y'all doing? What's your name again there, boy? <laughs> <laughs> Where, when, when did you get the nickname Country? <clears throat> well, that's interesting because there's a, a part in the book right there. And my first time I ever threw batting practice uh, was the second day there. They kind of, you know, didn't know what to expect of me. And, uh, uh, of course, then they got they got the full the full throttle. Actually, but uh, Joe Gordon was the uh, hitting coordinator, and Spider Jorgensen was the infield uh, coordinator at that time. And those are two big names out of the past. Uh, Joe Flash Gordon was a Hall of Famer, and uh, I was still in batting practice. And I went out there, and I never had thrown batting practice before. I came from a little old town in Gideon. We never threw batting practice. I just reared back and let it go, and Gary. After about three pitches, nobody wanted to hit off me because I was just airing it out. I said, well, hell, I'm not going to let these bastards hit me. So I didn't know what batting practice was. And Gary came out, you know, from, he says, hold it. He said, hey, Mark. He says, throw the ball over the plate, damn it. He says, knock it down, knock it back about, about 20 miles an hour, would you? This is batting practice. I said, okay. So anyway, uh, the L screen kind of bothered me. That was another thing. So I, the, the hitter, he didn't, he didn't get too much to swing at. He goes trotting down the first. And I was noticing, you know, that these guys got leads over there. And, and Gary yelled out and said, hey, Mark, work out of the stretch. Work out of the stretch. I said, oh, okay. So I was working out of the stretch. And, you know, you came to a set. And then you went and, you know, threw your pitch. Well, I said, now this guy gets a lead over there. I'm going to pick his ass off. I said, here's the deal. The, the first baseman was over there taking throws across from the shortstop, but I didn't, I didn't pay too much attention to it. But, you know, Spider was hitting him, uh, him, him balls out there, and he was, you know, sending them over to Dave Landers, uh, who was a UCLA guy and uh, first baseman. And so, sure enough, uh, this guy gets a pretty good lead over there, and I said, well, I'm going to give him a real good move here. Watch this. And sure enough, a ball came across about the same time from the shortstop. It also went by Landers' head, the one I got, <laughs> went right by his head about the same time to pick the guy off. So uh, he, he, saw, he saw double trouble, two baseballs at the same time coming at him. <laughs> Fortunately, neither one hit him, but he, he just threw his glove down. And the, whole, the, whole, the whole thing went, everybody went down on their belly just laughing and rolling and everything. You know, Gary said, damn it, I said, Throw the damn ball over the plate. Don't pick no runners off. Throw bat in practice. And then Joe Gordon, he was he was still rolling back there. Well, the next day, I come out and you know Joe Joe Gordon, he's elevating his voice. He says, "Hey, where is that country boy? I kind of like him <laughs> over here." So that stuck. You know, Mark, as uh, usually the pitcher, the 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 guys who are the pitchers. They're pretty good hitters too, right? They're they're very good athletes. How are you with the bat? Oh, I've got a record. You know, I hold a record. I'm the only guy in baseball that has. Well, I have two hits and three RBIs. I got more RBIs than I got hits. There you I go. RBIs and three hits. <laughs> I mean, uh, three RBIs. And so, uh, you know, we bundle a lot, but uh, 
I mean, in fact, I got all my, my RBIs in two games, and they were both against the Phillies. So, yeah, it was kind of interesting. Yeah. Let me uh, ask you back. I went, I, went, I went up to, to finish what you were saying. I went to Billings, then I went to Waterloo. You know, just, uh, I was like 10 and 9, and had like a 3, 4, 5 ERA. And, you know, they, I think they expected more out of me, and you know, I didn't really settle in. And I did go throw an, an exhibition game in Kansas City against Atlanta, and, you know, Aaron was there and everybody. And I did really well, actually. I think I punched out about, you know, uh, six in those three innings that I had. I'm sure they wouldn't get the hell out of Dodge, the Atlanta Braves were. But I'm just saying, uh, and then I went back to Waterloo and finished the year out. And then I went to Instructional League and I uh, did some visualization things and, you know, stuff with my brain, you know. And uh, <laughs> so I got on board. I went into spring training and, uh, Lou Gorman and John Sherholtz. John Sherholtz was the assistant farm director at the time. He caught me on the very first day coming back in, and he said, hey, country, he said, can you uh, go over to AAA and throw maybe three innings? You're in shape, aren't you? And I said, yeah, yeah, I can do that. Well, sure. So I went over there, and I, I threw three innings, and, you know, great outing. Manager, uh, AAA manager said, hey, can he, I, got, I need him a little bit here. They aren't, uh, they aren't back down for the big leagues. They hadn't cut, they'd cut yet. And he said, well, yeah, sure, that's fine. Take him another time. So I threw four innings that time. Well, by the end of spring training, I threw 27 innings. I didn't give up a run. And they were pretty much, I solidified myself in AAA. And Lou said, it's against my judgment. He said, but, you know, if you falter, he said, we'll send you back to Jacksonville AA. Well, I didn't falter. I was 9-1 and one by, like, June 9th. And they had to call me up, especially since I wasn't on the 40-man roster. So somebody could have claimed me. You know, pretty quick at that point. So they had to call me up to the big leagues. So I went. I made my debut against the uh, Orioles uh, June fourteenth in Baltimore. And I'm sure a lot of the guys were wondering because I had heard this uh, when I walked in. Somebody probably said, "Who's who's the big bad boy over there with the pimple?" They said, "Well, he's the starting pitcher on Thursday." <laughs> who was the first batting? Who in the majors? Who was your first hitter you faced? Uh, uh, Rich Hoggins. And then Bumbry. And then uh, uh, Boog Powell hit fourth. Uh, Robinson hit fifth. Cameron uh, hit third. But anyway, it's some big dude. Whatever. <laughs> did you start that game or did you overleave that game? No, I started. I was a starter when I first came up. No, matter of fact, the year, that, that very year, I would go back to Triple and I'd finish up 16 6. I got pitcher of the year and I missed a month, actually. <clears throat> and uh, I, I had like 12 complete games and I don't know if, uh, and then I went back up uh, at the end, and then I went to Puerto Rico, and by the end I had about 320 innings, and uh, my arm just, just didn't make it, and that's when I had uh, some arm problems when I went to spring training, for real, the, the very next year. Yeah, they so, threw, back then they didn't care how many innings you threw, right? There were no pitch counts or anything, you just, uh, you threw until your arm fell off. About right, I mean, I was still a growing boy, you know? Yeah. And, uh, I ate well on everything, but I still had some uh, growth spurts to, to get through there. Um, kind of interesting, though, just to see uh, how it was used. And then the reason I came a, a closer, uh, I, I really didn't have that third put, third pitch at the time. And Kansas City had, we had, you know, four or five guys that could, you know, they knew, knew what they were doing out there. And uh, I would come in and uh, why do you actually saw that I was, you know, throwing the ball pretty well? Uh, out of the pen and 
I had a really good spring. It was a shortened spring because we had an owner lockout that year in 1976. So anyway, I made the club. I go up. I, I, uh, I started a little bit of, as a matter of fact, I didn't even go into long relief. Whitey came up to me. We lost, I think, the first big, yeah, we lost the first two games. And uh, Whitey came over to me on the side and right to the line. He said, hey, country, you know what a, you know what a closer does? I see how he slams the door. He said, that's what you're going to do for me. You want to do that? And I said, sure. So I got in the game that day. He stretched me out and went four to third and picked up a win right there. And So uh, it was that. And that's where it started. Let, let, let me bring you back to uh, Billings for, for a minute. You have a, a, a chapter in your book called uh, George's George. And you mentioned you come from yeah. two different worlds. You're from the farm, he's from the, from the beach. Uh, right. You guys got along pretty well. You, you had some good times together, chasing alligators and fishings, and fishing. Yeah. What, uh, could you tell us a story about the, the big fish that, you had, that George had to hold out of the car? Yeah, well, you, uh, there, was a, there was a marina right around from where we were staying on Siesta Key during the Instructional League. And uh, you know, George and I kind of hung out together. I had a car, so that was a premium. And so I said, hey, George, want to go fishing? And of course, he said, yeah, yeah, I'll go fishing. So we went around and we snuck in, you know, and, and it had lights on the corner from over the bridge. You could see everything. And we were sitting out there fishing, and George, George got a sheephead, you know, and it was a big one. And so we ended up pulling it out of there and said, hey, let's get out here. The mosquitoes are coming out. And he agreed. And so we snuck out the same little gate that we went in you know, around the corner. And, we, you know, I start the car up. I'm not a quarter of a mile from there where we were, were staying. And, and sure enough, I got George. He wants to throw the, the, the fish in my trunk. And I said, no way you're throwing that fish in the trunk. <laughs> he said, here, give me the fish. You get in the car. He gets in the car. I said, hold your arm out. Hold the fish until we get back. So he's got the fish outside the car. <laughs> and I'm driving. So anyway, this, 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 uh, you know, this bebopper, bubblegum lights come on. And, and you know, the... You know, it's uh, Florida's finest, and he stops us, and I pull over, and I said, hey, just stay there, you know. And so I get out, and, you know, the guy said, uh, license. I said, yeah, here it is. He said, uh, you know, you guys weren't supposed to be in there. And I said, really? And he said, he said, yeah, there's been a lot of thefts in there. And I said, well, we were just fishing, you know. And I said, and I said look, there's a fish we caught. See it? And George holds it up in his face, <laughs> and he lifts it up and holds it up. Outside, you know, inside he's inside the car still, and uh, I said, as far as I said, and we didn't see anybody in there anyway. We didn't see anybody in there that was going to steal anything. Just me and George. <laughs> so, so he started laughing because, like, you know, I'm just plain innocent. I said, we didn't see anybody in there. He says, you got you two get out of here and just go. You, I'll see you later. Bye. So he uh, let us off. So that was good. And then we were uh, another time we were in uh, Bush Gardens and we had an off day. Uh, it was me, George, and Donnie Spare, and uh, we were at the end of the day. It was hot in Florida, and we were walking up, and we'd seen all the animals except this great big old panther was in a cage, and he was sitting there snoozing, and he was huge, big old black panther, green eyes. He, he didn't have a worry in the world, and uh, we were all leaning over the, the the rail there, looking at this thing. Really, like five feet from it, and he had those big long bars, you know, up there. And his tail was outside, you know, it was kind of twisting around. He was kind of sleeping, snoozing, but his tail was outside the bars. It was going back and forth. And George looked at me. He said, "Hey, watch this." And I said, "Shit, what's he going to do?" <laughs> so anyway, he jumps the fence really quick. He jerks that dog on Panther's tail hard as crap, and that Panther just 
roars around the cage, just, you know, just bellowing and just like tearing everything up. Of course, George got back really fast, too, because he didn't want to be swatted. And uh, so that was, and then, of course, the alligator thing, that was another thing. George and I were, we were going out in uh, Mayaka River State Park, which is right down the road from where our spring training site was. And another off day, we were driving around and stopped on a bridge and, George and I were looking over the bridge and the water, and George looked down. He says, "Hey, look, there's an alligator." And I said, "Yeah, it sure is." And I was about, you know, it's at least a six foot alligator. He just sitting down there snoozing, has mouth, you know, locked open, you know, uh, you know. And so George says, "Watch this." So he goes down to the side, he picks up a stick, and he and the, and the, uh, the thing did still didn't move, and he whacked it right across the back, and went right in the water at that time. You know, when he whacked it pretty good, he just laughing. You know, wow. of course, I could see. You know, the, the administration fans, how did you say George lost his foot? <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. That George Brett was, uh, he, he was a troublemaker. <laughs> it was wild. I, I was right there with him because oh. we, we, we did a lot worse than that. Well, <laughs> well so. whatever you want to tell us, we, we, <laughs> we would gladly listen. But, you know, uh, my, my third book that's coming out is called What's Up Ramrod with a question mark. And uh, everybody says, what, what's Ramrod all about? I said, well, Ramrod is basically, I called everybody Ramrod because I didn't know their names. They had numbers on the back of their shirts. And I'd say, hey, Ramrod, nice job. And, uh, you know, something like that. So I called everybody Ramrod. Even if I knew their name, I might call them Ramrod. <laughs> <laughs> they they kind of liked it, you know. And I, I beat, beat on PFP, pitcher stealing practice as a coach. And uh, so I was sitting there. And I, I, I might have got a rookie in my group. There's 15 guys lined up back there taking PFP and, uh, off the mound. And you got two big old first basemen. You got two catchers with me, you know, splitting time. And so I'm hit, I'm doing some, you know, covers, uh, covering first and stuff like that. And if they did a nice job, cut the right route, I'd say, hey, nice job, you know, next, <laughs> you know, something. It was kind of boring in a sense, but I'd say, hey, nice job, next. And the guy would go back to the back end of the line. This one guy did, and he went back there, and he said, hey, you know what? Well, there's four guys in the back of the line. They had just been with me the year before. And they said, he said, he called me Ramrod. You know, he was like, really, that's really cool. And they're sitting there snickering. You know, they got their gloves crossed and on the side of their, you know, belt or something. And, you know, waiting in line to go when their turn is. And they said, and one guy said, well, you know why he calls you Ramrod? And uh, he, said, he said, no, why, why does he call me Ramrod? Well, he don't know your effing name. <laughs> 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 so, that's where it is. Uh, I want to ask you, uh, in 1976, you had a great year. You were 8-4 with a 2.08 ERA. Um right. There was one home run that you would remember it for. I'm not, I don't want to talk, ask you about that because I'm sure you talked about that to death. But there is... You think? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> but I want to talk to you about what happened, specifically what happened afterwards. You received a special telegram. And for those who didn't read the book, who sent that to you? And could you describe uh -huh. that, what that meant to you at that point? Well, after the world stopped on me, I guess, uh, you might say, I, uh, we flew back and I, you know, I, went, to, I went back to... You know, where I was staying in Kansas City, I was married, and I said, I'm going to go in the ballpark, because, you know, I could, you know, just couldn't stay away from the ballpark for some reason, just had to muddle, muddle around somewhere. So I, get, uh, I walk in the ballpark, go downstairs, and, you know, there's all kinds of stuff around your locker generally, and there was, and, but on my stool, there was a telegram, 
which they don't do anymore. I'm gonna have this, you know, tell. But this uh, yellow telegram is on there, and I picked it up and I sat down and on the stool and read it. And it was basically saying, you know, I love you, and you know, you know, and, and George loves you, and uh, my family loves you, and basically, and and saying that uh, you, you, you did a wonderful job this year or something. That was Ethel Brad, her, uh, George's mother, and uh, yeah, I kind of hit home. That's nice. Oh. That's yeah. That's nice. Yeah. Absolutely. You know what, Mark? So, for we're we're not. It's funny. We're we're not mentioning the the Chris Chambliss home run, and it's not only because we we know you've talked about it many times. But we had Ron Swoboda on. He wrote a book called The Catch, and we all know about the catch in the '69 World Series. We had this beautiful interview with him. And we, the one thing we didn't do was ask him about the catch. Right. So we we have a on this show we have a habit of uh, missing <laughs> missing the major points. <laughs> well, that's okay. I'll just fill in the blank, you know. But uh, you know, the the coaching thing is good because it's a mixture of uh, some of my I mix some of my farm stories with it. And the second book came out, Country Boy Conveniently Wild. That was uh, pretty much far, all farm stories except for the last one. And I just was kind of warming everybody up that I'm coming back into more of a baseball uh, storyline in the uh, third book. But uh, first book was baseball, kind of, pretty much. And uh, second book was farm stories, which, you know, those are all true, unfortunately. I blew up a truck with dynamite when I was 15, my <laughs> brother and I, by accident, I guess. But my dad was a Korean War guy, and he, he was already pissed because he got shot, you know, shot all up over there. And, mm. He pretty much kept us in line because I know if we didn't say yes sir, no sir, he uh, he would knock us off a tractor, and right. uh, that didn't feel too good. Right. Uh, but you know, yeah, I blew up trucks, and we had rat killings on Sunday after church. I blew up a pump house, I had five gallons of gas, five gallons of diesel, and put it down rat holes. It come out, you know, all wet. And I was inside the pump house, and it was dark, and I had a flashlight, and. Basically, I didn't know my brother had just caught a rat on fire where he's flipping matches on the thing, and the, the rat hit the side of the building and went right down the hole, and I saw the flame before I got the, the tea on shit out. I, I got blown out the door. So <laughs> it, was, it was a big concussion, and I blew the pump house up at the same time. So yeah. whatever. <laughs> just, just good old boys. Good old boys, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I lost half my ass on that one. Yeah. So. You, you went to St. Louis in 1978, and one of the first people you met was a guy named Butch Yachtman. Oh, yeah, yeah. You told him you wanted to wear number 17, but he didn't give it to you. Why was that? No, 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 no. Well, Butch, was interesting because Butch was maybe, maybe five feet, and he had been the clubhouse guy forever. He had 10 World Series rings. He was a bad boy for Babe Ruth. Wow, era. wow. You know, I mean, good grief. And so <laughs> Bing Divine brings it down. So let's go down and see Butch. <laughs> I said, okay, well, I didn't know who Butch was. So you know, we get down to the clubhouse, and Butch is over there. He's got his white shirt on, white pants on, white shoes on. You know, and he's got his, you know, his big glasses on, and, you know, he's like uh, a midget, you know. So he comes over there, and he, he's walking like a like a Olympic walk really fast over there, and then he puts his hands on his hip and being defined. This Butch, this is Mark Patel. You know, he's, uh, you know, we just got Mark in the train. He says, oh, yeah. He says, Country boy, yeah, country boy. So you're the country boy. That's exactly what he said to me. You're, so you're the country boy. I said, yeah, I guess so. I said, in the flesh. <laughs> and uh, so he said, well, what number does country boy want? And I said, well, I kind of like the number I had over there. And how about number 17? 
he just, he said, you dumb son of a bitch. And he just aired me out for about <laughs> 10, 10, 15 seconds. He was looking straight up at me. His chest was meeting my stomach. And he was just looking straight up at me and pointing his finger right in my chest. And then he backed off and I said, well, you got number 32. <laughs> 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 and he said, and then he said, I like this guy. I like this guy thing. And he, he said, I'll see you around country. So he walked back, and I said, that's the last time I ever heard ever him liking me. <laughs> <laughs> well, for those, uh, number 17 was, I think, Dizzy Dean, right? I guess that, that number's was retired. Dizzy Dean, right. 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 Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, you played, you, you had the honor of playing for Whitey Herzog with two teams, of course, the Royals and the Cardinals. Yes. So he must have really liked you to bring you over there, right? <laughs> well, he didn't bring me over. I was traded before, you know, he got over there. But, you know, why didn't I hunt it and fish a lot and stuff like that? I didn't know, didn't care, you know, why. You know, so you wear out your welcome. You go from blue to red. You go from west to east side. And uh, there's two teams in the state. And so I've played for both of them now. But, uh, no, why he was great. You know, matter of fact, he told me, he said, you know, Mr. Kane, I aren't getting along. He said, there's a good, damn good chance I'll be over there about a year and a half, which he was. <laughs> it was perfect timing and uh, of course you know Whitey came over there and did his thing and you know got rid of uh, you know whatever we had to get rid of and then he you know started started forming the chemistry the way he wanted to and uh, you know he, he got around to a World Series pretty damn quick yeah yeah you got a you got a ring for 1982 right you got the ring uh, yeah I didn't I didn't uh, pitch much that year uh, I ended up you know blowing my arm out it was but uh, Whitey treated me, me great, and the players did too. And uh, you know, uh, but you know, I'd been there a lot, and I had some good, you know, I had some good, a uh, couple good years in St. Louis, and uh, I actually hold a strikeout record in St. Louis for relievers. Which, you know, I'm not glorifying myself. I think it's all funny as get out. This guy calls me from ESPN. It was an intern, and you, you know, when you get an intern, because he steps there and he says, uh, "Mr. Latell," and I said, "Yeah, what do you want?" And so I knew it was an intern, you know. I said, what do you want? And so he said, well, uh, your record might fall. I didn't even know I had a record. I said, what record? He said, well, you hold the all-time single-season Cardinal record for relievers for strikeouts. I said, no shit. And so anyway, he said, I said, well, who set the bracket? He said, Rosenthal. I said, well, good luck to him, you know. Well, he missed it by three, so I still hold it. All right. You know, you know, nice. Whatever. Yeah, but it's so funny. You got Gibson and Musial and Brock and all these other guys, and then you see Latell. Another first was there was a time in LA where you were taken out of the game, but not by the manager or the pitching coach, but by the team lawyer. Yeah, yeah, I was out in Los Angeles. Uh, I got smoked in the head, and it went up. Tony Scott out in center field, and I always threw well against the Dodgers, and but. I, I don't know, I just, I just didn't see the ball, and it, and it knocks my hat off, and Templeton comes out there, and, and, you know, the stands are up. And I heard it, Ben Scully, you know, everybody had told me what he had said, you know, from the radio stuff, what, what was down in the clubhouse and stuff, and they said, and Lapel still has not gone down. And, you know, and these fans are standing there watching me standing up, and I'm looking for my hat, and Templeton comes up and says, hey, bro, what it be, are you... But you're supposed to be down on the ground, aren't you? And I said, hell no, I'm looking for my hat. Where'd the hell that ball hit? He said, one hop Tony out in center. I said, 
said, well, he should have caught the damn thing. <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, Diesel, when the trainer comes out first, he's kind of snickering like, you know, why aren't you down? He said, uh, how you doing? I said, well, I can hear out of that other ear because I'm deaf in one ear. And, uh, and I said, I think I can hear out of that other ear now. And so he snickers. And, you know, uh, Lee Wire was the uh, umpire and Boyer was the manager and KB was, he didn't say a word to him. He just had his hands on his hip. And Lee Wire said, uh, yeah, you know, of course, Kenny said, you all right, country? And I said, yeah, all right, yep, get the hell off the mound. I said, oh, get this last out, we'll go for it. Well, there's two outs. So anyway, Lee, Lee said to me, he says, hey, country, uh, let's take a couple of throws. <sighs> I said, really? He said, yeah. And the trainer, G. Gieselman, said, yeah, let's take a couple of throws. Okay, I'll take a couple of throws. So we're eating up six and seven minutes right there at that time. Well, in the meantime, one of the lawyers from Anheuser-Busch is watching the game on good old... Uh, TV, and he's and he so he gets the hot phone and he gets out of the clubhouse. And he basically says, "Get Latell's ass off of the mound." He said before he drops dead, and somebody else owns the club other than Anheuser Busch. <laughs> <laughs> so, so anyway, you know, I come to a set position. You know, I come to a set position, and then Lee comes up saying, "Time." You know, you see his big arms fly out. You know, and. And I'm looking, I looked over the Dodgers dugout, and then I looked, I looked over my left shoulder, and now Boyer's coming out ahead with Dieselman trailing him. And so KB says, I got to take you out of the game. I said, why the hell, what for? He said, well, a lawyer said just what I said right there. <laughs> I, said, I said, are you shitting me? I'm, I'm taking, getting taken out by a freaking lawyer. <laughs> I said, a lawyer from St. Louis just took me out of a ball game. And I said, well, if that's going to be the case, both you guys hold me by the arm, and that will make it look good when I come off the mound, okay? Wow. That's the first. One last thing I want to ask you about your book before we get into uh, the uh, your invention there and everybody. Um, there's a time that you, you went to prison. Could you tell yeah. us about that? Prison time, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I actually uh, drove to... Uh, yeah, I can't even think the name of it, but it's uh, it was over in Illinois, Chester, Illinois, and it was Menard Correctional Institution. And so I asked Marty Hendon, and uh, Marty calls me up, and he always liked me to go, you know, because of the talk, because I like to do it, you know, and you make a little, you know, a few bucks, make a couple hundred bucks. You know, you didn't make 20000 like they do now, but I made a couple hundred. Anyway, you know, Marty says, ah, hey, country, there's a thing here you can speak at. And I said, all you got to do is take a film with you, show the film speak a little bit, you know, and then shut it down and come back home. I, I said, where is it? He said, well, Menard Correctional Institute. where is that? He says, it's over in Illinois. It's just south of St. Louis. Well, it was way south of St. Louis, what it was. <clears throat> so anyway, I went in and picked the film up two days before I was supposed to go. I went over to the Illinois side. I was trying to find this place. I had to make a call to try to find Marty. I said, hell with it. I couldn't find him. I looked it up on a map. We didn't have, you know, map quest then. <laughs> And so I looked it up, and everybody said, oh, it's 62 miles this way. I said, no kid. So anyway, I finally get down to Menard. You know, and, and it's dark. It's on the Mississippi River. It's embedded into a cliff. I thought it was, I was going, I thought I was going to speak to juveniles. You know, a juvenile thing. Well, hell, that was the Illinois State Pen. John Gacy Brown was in there. Oh, He's oh, a clown with about 36 little, with 36 guys. Right. You know. Wow. And, uh. So he was in there, and then I walked in, and I said, I said, hey, I finally got here, guys. I had a suit on and everything. 
and uh, it was like uh, old time. This, this prison was like old time. And I said, uh, are there a bunch of juveniles in here? They, all the guards, two guards just laughed. And they said, no, 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 this is the real deal here. And, uh, and for instance, uh, so they said, hey, Mark, we got a pad search and all this. I said, fine, whatever. So George was clang, 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 clang. The, the warden's coming up. He was a good old boy. He, he, pretty, he pretty, pretty much looked like, uh, uh, you know, Buddy Holly with the glasses on, you know. You put, you know, you could have put him in a lineup and had those, you know, those black wire rim glasses on, those uh, big old black glasses on. And uh, he came up and he, he said, well, country, we're so glad to have you. He's just a real good old boy. And he said, they're looking forward to seeing you. This is our annual athletic banquet for the prison. And I said, well, that's good. Is it pretty safe? And he says, oh, yeah, yeah, it's real safe. And the food's real good. We grow a lot of the food here. They pride themselves on that. I, he opens up that door, and all I see is pinstripes in there. I mean, and there's guys floating around. And I said, well, and I asked him again, I said, are you sure it's safe in here? He said, yeah, you see all those guns on those guards right there? They're holding up. I said, yeah, it's real safe. <laughs> so I said, that's good. So he... We went through the line. I'm kind of going through here, and they got the prison caps on and stuff, and you know, feeding me the chow. And we sat down at a table, and it's just me and him. And I'm sitting there thinking, nobody, please don't anybody sit down in those two other chairs. And they didn't. So he was sitting there, you know, with me talking and talking. I gotta go see the assistant warden over there. You just stay right there. And I said, you're gonna leave me? I didn't. I said that to myself. As soon as he left me, four or five guys were already around me sitting down in the chairs, standing all around me, and, and, and this and that, and this and that, and so, you know, I made do and, and did okay, and so I, I get around to it, and I said, hey, you guys are asking me all questions about me, what'd you come in here for, and this one guy, I was, I was looking at him, and he said, uh, I, I blew a couple of people away in Chicago, oh, and I said, oh, well, shit, <laughs> so, so and then we went up, uh, so that actually got over, there was a guy that, uh, there that was a big boxer, called him Sudden Sam, and uh, he used to, uh, they used to box in the Golden Gloves with the guys coming down from St. Louis, and uh, the warden was telling me about him, he said, yeah, we call him Sudden Sam, he knocks him out in the first round, <laughs> and I said, oh, really? So, after this whole shindig was over, my part of it, and they're, and they're all, you know, mulling around a little bit, this, this black guy comes over to me, he's taller than me, and he, he's kind of quiet, and I was kind of loose by myself for a second, and he comes over and he says, Hey, Mark, he said, I like the box. And I said, really? And I said, I said, really? I said, that's good. I said, oh, well, you're Sudden Sam. They said, that's what they call me, Sudden Sam. Those boys from St. Louis come down here and knock them out in the first first round. He said, they're not that good. He said, you know, I want to know something. I'm going to go pro. I said, well, you keep it up. I said, I'm sure you will. Well, the warden comes back over and he, and he said, I, I saw you just sitting there talking to Sam, I said, yeah, I said, says he wants to go pro. He said, yeah, he, he wants to go pro, but you know, there's only one problem. He's got another 40 years to go here. <laughs> so, <laughs> and uh, it, was, it was quite an interesting thing to walk into that prison. And uh, I, I went up to the, uh, you know, to where they had the layered dorms. And uh, there was a gal in there, and she was wearing a red bra, or a guy, I guess, red bra and red panties. And has had her had his hair done up all right and you know and uh Mar- i can't remember her name it's in the book but it was funny uh, he was trying to negotiate for a tv uh-huh. and so when i got down to t- uh, when i got down to uh 
spring training, of course, I'm telling all the guys this, and you know, we were all pulling for for him to get his TV so he could watch watch us on watch Cardinal baseball because that's what those prisoners did is watch us on Cardinal baseball. That was pretty good. Wow! Wow! So, yeah. Better read than me telling it. Actually, tell you. <laughs> it's pretty good you telling it. Yeah. Um. All right. So, Mark, twenty. Uh, unfortunately, you had arm issues. So, uh, yeah. twenty nine baseball was over. But right. The, one of the you went on to invent something, which yep. you know, as much as as much as it sounds funny, and you know, it, it's called the Nutty Buddy. Right. But. Yep. From everything I've seen on the internet and everything that I've read, you invented a damn good product and a one of one of the most uh, necessary products around. So, how does uh, a baseball player uh, who you know at the age of twenty nine is out of the game then go on to invent this? Uh, tell us about the Nutty Buddy. Is basically what I want to know. Well, I was I was a coach with the Dodgers at the time, and I was uh, uh, in Double A, and I was eating my pitcher's butt out one day for fun. You know, you had some downtime, and I said, "How many guys wear cups?" And half of them raised their hands, and I said, "Yeah, that's what I figured." And so I was just you know harping a little bit and having some fun. One of the guys in the background said, "Hey, hey, Lit, why don't you just invent one?" I said, "Well, screw you, I will." So I went into the training room and got two golf balls and got some of that. Uh, that plastic that bends and uh, you put it in the hydroculator and I got those big power scissors and you know I cut it the way I wanted and I came back and it molded up and set solid in there you know in about three minutes it was solid and so I came back the next day and I said here I held it up I said here's your here's your cup right here you know and uh, the funny thing was I had been to Australia uh, I had coached in Australia four years and you know when they came up to me the very first time, I was like half dead one day, the very first day. And, and, and this guy says to me, he says, hey, mate, how you doing? I said, oh, pretty good. You know, mate. <laughs> so, and uh, the funny thing was, is uh, he said, hey, you got your, uh, your your nutty on? And I said, uh, you know, your box? And I said, uh, oh, you mean my cup? I said, yeah. No, I'm not wearing one right now, but yeah, I do. I said, what do you call that? He said, well, we call it a nutty or a box. And then when I got real serious about, you know, years later when I, you know, did this, two years later, I thought of Nutty Buddy. And then, uh, and of course it was clean to do that because it, I haven't got an ice cream bar, you know. So, <laughs> uh, and I have, five, I have five sizes. I'm the only guy that has five sizes. I have a flex also that it's really cool. You don't even know you got it on. You know, if you wear it right, if you wear it the right way, you're supposed to. You don't, you don't know you're wearing it, you have it. We've had people fall asleep with them on. But the five sizes are, first one's hammer, and that fits like seven to nine-year-olds. So we got hammer, boss, hog, trophy, and then mongo. <laughs> mongo. Mongo-like. Mongo-like, Mark, muddy buddy. No, no, no. All eighth graders want a mongo. <laughs> and all little guys come up to the gal at the register and say, hey, baby, I'm a hog. <laughs> I got this hog here. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, well, uh, so anyway, uh, you know, she checks him out and says, yeah, well, you got two more sizes to go, kid. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I love the video on YouTube um, of them testing it out. And you're standing there 
Everybody, you have got to watch on on YouTube the video. Nutty Buddy video. Right, Nutty Buddy video. Mark is standing there and he's taking fastballs right to the to, right to the to, to, right to the groin, wearing his Nutty Buddy yep. at ninety miles an hour. Right. Yep. Th- those fastballs are coming in. Wow. Yep. Four and a half feet to the machine. I, I got to the point where I lasered it because I had one skip and hit me. And I was black and blue for three weeks. Uh, wow. Hell, the hell that. And then, uh, so I started lasering it in. And then uh, I've been on like you know Fox Sports Science, Fox and Friends Morning Show in Times Square, and then uh, Lopez, uh, Tom Green. I've been on a lot of shows. And of course, the second question, the first one is how are you doing. The second one is you are going to take a shot for us, right? I'm sure, why not? You know. Yeah. And, uh, but you know, it takes pretty good looking, you might say. And then uh, uh, it, 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 it's, a, it's a real good. Co- it's a comfortable one, you know. I'm I'm an idiot. I've won five awards, and I'm an idiot. But it's pretty funny to say that I've won five awards, and, uh, and I'm the only guy that's ever done that with with the protective cup. And uh, you know, it works. You know, it's a little pricey, but you know what? You want. Uh, Hey, you want, you want to have kids? Mm-hmm. Well, you, well, there you go. You know, you might as well get in the right deal. I said these guys go out and buy three hundred dollar baseball bats and two hundred fifty dollar mm-hmm. gloves. You know, uh, well, you can drop you know ninety bucks on, on on a setup like this. So that's the way it is. Oh yeah, and you, you know, he's got Mark's got to believe in his product to take a the, right to do that. I, I was saying it's one of the greatest inventions known to mankind because you know we have to protect the family jewels. Now tell what what are the awards that you won? You said you've won five awards. Is it for Well, I've won two umpire awards. I won uh, the award at uh, the baseball uh, thing for the, for the high school coaches. They had that big convention once a year, so I won you know the award for that. Uh, the two umpire awards. I won a, another award for it's called IDSA and. Rather than me going to some big business, since I didn't have too much money at the time, I uh, I went to ASU, Arizona State University, and I got uh, somebody to do my CAD work over there. And uh, it took them like three days to do the CAD work, and then they said, how in the hell did you figure this out? said, you know, because the bins in it are unreal. I said, it took me three days to do the CAD work. I said, thanks, just do it, thank you, bye. <laughs> you know? So anyway, uh, they put it into competition. Uh, they asked me, they said, hey, can... Uh, can we put this in a competition? You care if we put this in a competition? I said, I don't care. He said, would you be willing to pay the fee? I said, how much is the fee? I said, 250 I said, sure, I'll pay the fee. So I paid the 250 Three months later, they called me up. That was the first IDSA award that Arizona State had ever won. And it was on that nutty buddy. And it was, I didn't know it was a big deal, but it was. And uh, so anyway, uh, they get the award, and they're all hepped up about it. And IDSA stands for Industrial Design Society of America. Actually, it's it's a world thing. It's just not the United States. It's anybody in the world. So competition was big, and you know, it's just not one. It's several, and mine was classified. But what I got a kick out of, oh, excuse me, was when I saw the catalog, which was you know it was a primo slick catalog. That had all the big companies in there, and then you come to Nutty Buddy. <laughs> I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, anyway, check out uh, the website nuttybuddy.com. It has a uh, has that video, has some great has some stories on there. 
Um, and you can buy it. You look you at the product it. and buy the product. Absolutely. The, so YouTube Nutty Buddy on the videos, if you want, you know. Uh, but I've got a lot of commercials. You probably have seen some of the infomercials that I put up on. We put up on the uh, yep. on the uh, Facebook uh, social media site. Right. So they're all good. Mark, who's uh, who's your main consumers here? I would think all of Major League Baseball should have these, but uh, well, baseball baseball is number four, number five down the road. You know, cricket is number two in the world. I don't know if people know that. Yeah. Soccer's number one. Cricket's number two. Baseball's number eight in the world. Wow. Uh, cricket has five billion players. Wow. I mean, it's hard to believe. Ooh. Uh, yeah, really. Ooh, is right. Uh, but you know, we have uh, you know hockey, lacrosse, mixed martial arts. You know, all the all the martial arts stuff. So, uh, the, the hockey, lacrosse. Lacrosse is very big because they like the they like the cup because they can move in it. You know, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's it's real good protection, obviously, but they can move in it from you know the, their lateral movements. And anybody that's got a pair, you might say, even fencing uh, uh, people have worn our cup. And uh, you know, for you don't want to scare them, you know. So whatever, <laughs> you right. know, it's just a lot out there. And uh, fencing is you know the sword thing. You know, I got to tell you something, Mark. Uh, going away from the nutty buddy for a second, and I figured. After reading all the stories and hearing all the stories and seeing the Nutty Buddy and and knowing the sense of humor that you have, you'd appreciate this. So I was doing my typical uh, internet stalking, you know, to learn as much about you as I could. And I came upon uh, the Baseball Almanac, right? It It says, Baseball Almanac, Players, Trades, and Transactions. So it says, born in... Now, it's interesting. It gave Cape Girardeau... Cape... Well, in Missouri. So you said Gideon, but it had Cape, um, probably saying it wrong, Gerardo or? You, you, you said it right. It's Cape Gerardo, okay. Missouri. I was born there and I grew up in Gideon. Gotcha. Little town, about 900 people. And then the next thing it says, and this is what you'll find funny, I'm hoping. It says, Fresh ball. It says, died on, and then it has, uh, it says, still living. <laughs> and then it says, died in, still living, cemetery, N.A. And I'm thinking, it's almost like they're like, okay, we, we, we want to change that. I mean, it's weird to see that, you know, died on, still living. Not that's good. Yeah, well, I am. I haven't taken any big shots yet, although we do have something like that, and I can't even go there with it. But anyway, uh, you know, I haven't put myself in front of a F-15 or anything to test a nutty buddy or, you know, it's a part. But it's just funny to see that. It's like, it, it, it's like they're waiting to... to, to yeah. <laughs> they're waiting for me to kick. Yeah. Without actual current injury bleeds to death. <laughs> but luckily, the nutty buddy will will, will uh, protect you in that area. So. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> so, Mark, you mentioned that your dad was a veteran, and you are involved with the Wake Foundation, helping wounded veterans. Uh it, yes, go, go, everybody, go to wakefoundation.org to learn all about it. But, Mark, could you tell us what you do for them? Well, Robert Wake got me involved, uh, you know, Wake Foundation. And uh, he had gotten all shot up in uh, Iraq at the time. And uh, so, anyway, anyway, he came back in, and he was uh, he was in one of the VAs for hospitals for hmm, almost a year, and well, he's a year and three months, actually. And then he started working a little bit for some things in Missouri. Then he got with the governor, and he did some things for the governor. And the governor 
uh, one of the, gov- the governor said to him, saying, you know, you might want to start a foundation or something or something like this because, uh, you know, with the veterans. And got to thinking, and so he did. And he did about, oh, eight or almost nine years ago. And I've only been involved about two and a half, but I've made so many trips to VA hospitals, VA homes, and I just went last week to uh, Sky Air Force Base in Illinois, and that's the oldest Air Force Base in the country, by the way. And then I went to Fort Leonard Wood, uh, which is in Missouri, and uh, they had 7,500 on there, and so they're quite busy as well. And then, uh, you know, it was it was really neat to, to go around and, and meet the veterans and, uh, you know, I put my cardinal top on or my royals top on, wherever I'm, you know, at, generally. Uh, and then, you know, meet them and just talk. And, you know, they got a lot of questions sometimes. And, you know, the guys like general like baseball. And uh, the, the hospitals, it's really, I mean, I wish uh, some of our kids, you know, could go up and see some of these guys and just start talking to them. Because they, they, they want to talk to people. They really do. You know, I mean, some won't, you know, because they're, well, they've been hurt, you know, they've got a lot of, there's some issues there, but it, it's pretty neat to go in there and uh, be able to do that. Uh, well, I always see a lot, and I, I always spend time with them. You know, I, uh, I don't just, you know, shake their hand and leave. I just shake their hand and get down their ear, and, you know, and I, I tell them about my dad being in the Korean War and, get, you know, getting shot all the hell and, you know, getting knocked off a tractor, no yes sir, no sir, and they all like that, you know, and. And I learned a lot from those guys. They got some in- incredible stories. They really do. You know, they really, really do. Well, that's a wonderful, wonderful thing that you do on behalf of our veterans, and we, we thank you for, for doing that. Mark, uh, one last thing before we let you go. Uh, going back to baseball, what, what do you think about the, the way relief pitchers are used today? I mean, I, I read the box scores. I see some of these pitchers, they pitch... 12 pitches in the seventh inning, strike out two guys, get another guy ground out, but then now they're taken out of the game for the next next pitcher. Uh, what do you think of the state of, of pitching today in, in Major League Baseball? Well, you know, it's uh, a lot of the pitchers, they're not used like, you know, we used to be. And I don't think that's baseball's fault so much. And, I, and I'll say this, I'll say why. It's because, well, the reason is, is this, is because if you look at them the way they're brought up, you know, they're brought up inside, they're on a couch, you know, and if they are serious about it and work out, and they do a workout in the gym, they don't do anything to where they actually really use their hands like we had to when I was, I mean, not everybody's around the farm. But on the other hand, everybody still had to mow lawns and, you know, clean out flower beds and use their hands back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and then it kind of, you know, starts dwindling because of technology. And so you're getting more of a couch potato type kid. My hand strength is is still very good. I had I had one of the strongest grips in the, well, I know for the Royals organization because they tested me as a coach and I said I was second, you know, to all the players even. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's pretty sad to come in as a coach and I'm second. Yeah. Mm. And, yeah. And uh, so, so that, that tells a little bit of a story right there. You know, everything below your elbow and down to your fingertips is, is hitting and throwing a baseball. Throwing a baseball or hitting is, is, is from, you know, the elbows down and, you know, reflections, extensors. And uh, you want them supple, you want them loose. But my tensile strength is, I call it tensile strength. In other words, my ligaments are going to hold together pretty good right now. 
you know, um, even at age 66, you know, whereas maybe somebody else said, oh, I'm strong. Well, you're not as strong as you think you are in certain little areas right there. And that's when you, you come up with the Tommy Johns and you come up with a lot of other injuries as well. That's where it's, it's not only baseball. Baseball almost has to treat it like that, it seems to me. And, you know, you can't just go out there and say, well, they need to throw more. Well, if they throw more, they will break. Right. You know? And, you know, I hate to say it, but, you know, that's just the way it is. Right. And uh, you wish you wish you wish you could get the pitchers six and seven innings out there, and you know take you know take it a little bit easier on the bullpen, you know because uh, now you got to have monster bullpens. Yeah, I mean uh, you, you do. You have to have right. three or four guys out there that can do it and and hold up to the amount of throwing that they're getting in as far as uh, you know but you know between because their downtime. You know, it's sometimes not too long, and that's why they're diving into the minor leagues and, you know, using the, using the minor leagues pitching that way. You know, they're sending them up, sending them down, sending them up, sending them down. They're there for, you know, six or seven days, and they're back. Yeah. Right. And, you know, it's, it's interesting. Yep. Mark, being from Kansas City, and our favorite things, we obviously do this podcast, baseball and barbecue. Tell us about Kansas City, barbecue, are you a big fan of barbecue, being from Kansas City? Well, I'm from the Boot Hill, and we have very good barbecue here, but we also, I, I grew up outside Memphis. I'm in Memphis, and I like Memphis barbecue. I actually like bar- Boot Hill barbecue. <laughs> but, you know, you got Kansas City barbecue, you got St. Louis barbecue. You know, Kansas City is is, is, uh, is different. You know, we, we use rubs down there. We use, we use liquids, too. We use, the, you know, uh, the, the things I, I'm going to have a barbecue sauce coming out. It's actually called Boot Hill Barbecue. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wait a minute! Oh, yeah, we got to get. Uh, yeah. did, wait, yeah. this might be a baseball and barbecue exclusive. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that we did not know this. Tell us about the sauce. Well, this one's uh, a Boot Hill sauce, and it's uh, it, it's your vinegar, it's your vinegar base, but it, uh, it it's a really good taste. And I've tested. It was my family's recipe, and I tweaked it a little bit, and. Uh, so it's, it's got a meal on the front. It's got the state of Missouri right behind it, and you got the star coming out of Gideon down there in the Boot Hill. And then uh, there's some funny things on there that's done, and, you know, it, it shows what you can use it on and, and things of that nature. But, you know, a lot of people still use those barbecue sauces on fries as well. They like to put bar- I like to put barbecue sauce on fries as well. Yeah, I like to put uh, the uh, barbecue sauce, um, the mustard, you know, the... Uh and the North Carolina, the mustard sauce, I like to put that on hot dogs. I've got a mustard sauce, too. Really? Uh, yeah, it's called Panther Piss, actually. And uh, the reason I call it Panther Piss is because, uh, you know, it, it, people say, well, well you know, I, I do a little thing when I had my amateur teams when I got out of baseball. And uh, everybody had all these little call things, which I hated. And I said, well, hell, I'll just use Panther Piss, one, two, three, and everybody, all the little kids would say Panther Piss. <laughs> <laughs> and so I got a panther pissing, pissing on in inside in, in a jug with a monkey catching it right off of a rock. You know, <laughs> pretty funny. All palm trees all around, you know, and stuff. So it, uh, it, it it's uh, it's the mustard sauce on that one, and you know, it's it's got they're all real good flavors. Nice. I do. I grew up with barbecue. That's all we did. Barbecue. We barbecued all the time in the Blue Hill. Right. How you do? Yeah. What 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 kind of smoker were were you used to using? Well, we we just make them out of uh, we had big smokers. We had smokers that would cook. Uh, well, we, 
U.S. sometimes uh, delicacy was we would go over to Arkansas, get two goats, and slit their throat, hang them upside down, and then put them on the pit. And we'd smoke them for about five and a half hours, real slow. Mm-hmm. We'd, put, we'd put our sauces on. And then the farmers would come out, they'd play cards, drink beer, and eat goat. And then, right. uh, of course, we had you know pork and chicken and anything else. You know, we didn't cook too much beef. You know, you don't cook too much beef in the South. Right. You know, and... Yeah. Uh, that's you know, Texas. Arthur Bryant, yeah. I knew Arthur Bryant uh, when I met him when he was, because it was right across from the old ballpark. They took me there, as a matter of fact, uh, when I threw that exhibition game to go eat. So I met him. Yeah, quite a man. Really was. Wow. And, uh, you know, we, we have a tendency to smoke our stuff a, lot, a little bit longer and slower than most, you know, and uh, a lot of times I call it ketchup on a stick, you know, and so you go to up north. You know, and uh, we, ours is a little bit thinner, so you can, you know, get the taste of the meat a little bit better. And that, that's the way you like it. When are uh, you anticipating these uh, the sauces coming out? Hopefully, sometime this winter. You know, I've got all my things made. I've got all, it's been tested and stuff, and it'll, it'll come back from, it's getting its, uh, all the stuff that's on the side of it, you know, uh, I should, nutritional facts. You know, right. You yeah, right, I know, you gotta, I, I, I still don't know actually how they figure all that out, you know, it tells you percentages and right. stuff and whatever. Right. Well, it's, it's, it's not too hard, you know, it's just chemistry. Right. And, uh, but we, I sent mine over University of Kansas, and mm-hmm. that's where they, well, I take it back to K-State, and then, uh, and then they test it and send it back with all the numbers, and then you, you test your, uh, your levels on there and, uh, see how long it will last, mine's supposed to be over four years on the shelf, I said, hey, that's great. You know, so said, your enzymes are pretty cool. And I said, yeah. So what's your favorite thing to, what's your favorite meat to cook now? I actually like to cook chicken thighs. You know, boneless, skinless mm. thighs. Yes. Oh, it's chicken thighs, you know, really melting your mouth. And if you put them on a grill sometimes, you don't know, you don't know if you give them to a lady, she doesn't know what the hell they are. And then she says, oh, wow, this is really tender. It's really good. What is it? It's not a breast. It is a thigh. So yeah. there you go. Yeah, they're good. Yeah. I, I love making yeah. chicken thighs, too, because they're, first of all, it's dark meat, so it's yeah. a lot harder to dry that out. Yeah, you know? that's right. Yeah, chicken. I mean, you, cook it, you cook it slow. Right. And, you know, you, I cook chicken a lot slower. And mm-hmm. then what pork you got to cook slower, too. Right. And then... Uh, you definitely got to you know cook all that stuff you know slow so you can uh, get the right flavors in it and the right heat and the right temperature. You know you're t- you're, you're talking you're talking maybe two twenty two thirty for you know four hours or right. something on certain meats and you know it, it depends it all depends. And if you're doing the skinless, you don't have to worry about the the skin crisping up because you know if you do the if you do it with the skin and you do it at the low temperature, you get that rubbery skin. So. Exactly. If you get a yeah. sauce too thick, like a lot of the northern sauces, they, they cake on and they end up burning the meat. Right. If you get a thin sauce, it doesn't burn the meat. See? Right. So the vinegar actually, well, I mean, it's not the vinegar taste because I use some other stuff. I use lemon juice in mine too, actually. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so it's a mix. And then, uh, then I've got all the the other ingredients in there as well. I've got like, I've got about 14 ingredients in there, actually. Oh. Well, I'm going to ask you this. When you when you do come out with the sauces, we have we have thoroughly enjoyed our time with you. Yes, absolutely. When you, when you come out with the sauces, we would love it if you would come on, promote the sauces, 
we you have a platform here to to promote and sell and do whatever you want so we would like to the reason i did the sauce is because i wanted to do it, give back to the wake foundation thing uh-huh. uh, we don't have a wake foundation thing on there to where so much goes back it's not a percentage because if you give a percentage anybody right. can you know you know skate on that number but you know it, it's an actual number it, you know to where they know exactly how much is going to be given back into the foundation. Excellent. That is that, that, that's yeah. very nice. That's very, very good. Nice. Right. Well, Mark, we, we thank you for your time. You've been very generous. Yeah. We, we thoroughly enjoyed I it. I love the story. Yeah. <laughs> love it. Thank you. No problem. Finding about George Brett. Yeah. He was, uh, George Brett and was a naughty boy. Yeah. <laughs> Read the one about where I knocked that old lady, I mean, that older woman out in uh, Cleveland. That's a pretty good one. Okay, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> we'll talk about that one on your next appearance. Thank you. Good. Thank you very much, Mark. Mark, thank you again. Thank you, guys. Appreciate All right. it. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So, Len, I really enjoyed that interview, didn't you? Very much. He's coming out with his own barbecue sauce. I can't wait to have him back on and get some of that barbecue yeah, sauce. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. Uh, I'm very impressed what it does with the Wake Foundation. You know, yes. helping the veterans, which is terrific. The Nutty Buddy and his baseball career. What what a, you know, all-around nice guy, you know? Yeah, nice yeah. guy. I mean, if you didn't know these things, I mean, he doesn't, it's not like he says, oh, and guys, I invented this. And I, the sauces, we, we just happened to come yeah. upon that. We didn't know he was, he and very humble. coming out with sauces. Yeah, that's the word. Humble. Yeah. Yeah. Great, great guy. Mark, thank you. Exactly. Hope you're listening to this, and you know how much we appreciate the fact that you came on with us. And if you guys have any comments, you want to leave, you know, call, give us a call, 516-855-8214, or you can leave a message on our, leave a comment on our Facebook page. Check out our website, www.baseballandbbq.weebly.com. Tweet us at baseballandbbq.com. And also our Instagram page, which is Baseball and Barbecue, all spelled out. You know, I just thought of something. When he comes on to promote the sauces, maybe he could bring on uh, George Brett with him. That'd be nice. <laughs> it would be, uh, you know, a nice little thing. We haven't, we have not had a Hall of Famer on yet. Yet, right? Maybe but we will. Yeah, we will. We'll try. Right? Maybe, maybe he'll be our first. Maybe our second. Who knows? By then, <laughs> right? <laughs> Len and I are going to go back on the road next month. We're going to the BBQ Gurus Monolith Monster Fest in Warminster, Pennsylvania. So let's hear from Lisa Joe Getter to tell us all about it. Baseball and barbecue, guys, listeners, fans, you guys are going to... First of all, you're not going to believe who we have back on tonight. If you guys remember, we did a road trip to uh, Showboat Showboat, Atlantic City, New Jersey, and the event was fantastic, and it was sponsored by none other than Barbecue Guru, and we had on our show Lisa Jo Getter. She is the Marketing and Fulfillment Coordinator, and they have a huge event coming up. And I think she wants uh, everybody listening to come to it. Yes, know about it. So, Lisa, why don't you uh, tell us about this uh, great event you're having on October 12th? Yes, thank you so much, guys. I'm so excited that you're having me back on the show. And I'm absolutely thrilled to invite you down and be my guest at my event. So, I am having my Modelist Monster Fest. This is the second 
here of the Monster Fest, and it is a fun-filled day for barbecue enthusiasts, uh, monolith enthusiasts, barbecue guru enthusiasts, anybody who is a foodie. It's a family-friendly event, and what you do, you come, you walk around all day, you eat as much as you can from a wide variety of pro and amateur teams that I've got coming down to cook. We've got tons of other fun activities to do while you're there. I've got a photo booth. I've got a moon bounce. We've got face things for the kids. You can come into our store. Everything's 10% off. And it's just an all-around great day where you get to see things cooked on a grill that you probably never even imagined could be cooked on a grill before. Well, that's one thing I'm definitely looking forward to. I'll eat food. <laughs> food. We, we will go anywhere for food. <laughs> Uh, now, Lisa, where, um, I don't think we said where you guys are. Where is this event? We are in Warminster, Pennsylvania. It is held at the Barbecue Guru headquarters, and it's about 30, 45 minutes north of Philadelphia. Okay, so people in Northeast, it's uh, pretty easy to get to. Right. Yeah. And the the website for everybody is, um, it, it's, but bbqguru.com. Right. And there's a link to the uh, uh, Monolith Monster Fest there. Right. And I see you have a couple of uh, celebrity uh, chefs there, uh, Mo Kaysen and Barbecue Bob. Yeah, Big Bob Trudnack, right. right? That's correct. So Barbecue Bob is the head pit master of the Barbecue Guru. And when you come and you see all of the trophies in our showroom, that's not even half of what this man has accomplished. He was the inventor of the rib rings, which you are very familiar with. Yes. And he has been with Barbecue Guru from the beginning. He is an all-around just amazing guy, amazing cook, and he's really become an international icon over the last few years since we've become the sole distributor of the Monolith Grills in North America. Now, Mo Kaysan, I don't know if you guys have ever met him or had the chance to speak with him. We No, we haven't, but we are, we're very excited about that. I follow him on Twitter. <laughs> he is a guy that is absolutely larger than life, great cook, funny, but humble and easy to talk to. And... I want people to come and go see Bob and go see Mo and take pictures with them. Ask them, you know, what are you cooking? How are you cooking? Ask for an autograph. A lot of people are shy to do that. And when you just meet these two guys, they're just two of the nicest men in the barbecue business. And they are so passionate about what they do that they love talking to people and and, and sharing their barbecue, and they're going to be baking some of their signature dishes that, if they're anything like last year, you're going to be in for a real treat. Now tell us, so we see on the website that people can, uh, they can purchase, they're, okay, so from what I see, there's going to be barbecue teams, right? People can come and compete, right? They can compete, yep. and they can use the monolith grills, which, by the way, Lisa, I was thinking about it. If we want to correlate this with anything with baseball, the monolith grill is the Babe Ruth of grills. There you go. How do you like that? Thank you so much. 
All right? I mean, they really are amazing. It's a, it's a Kamado grill, right? Yes, it is. Yeah. And it has the barbecue guru, uh, it has the temperature control on it? That's correct. We build the fan system right into the side of the ceramic, and it is the only grill in the world that has an automatic barbecue control built into it. So it really is like setting your oven at home. They're beautiful. They are seriously, they're like works of art. And from what I understand, the teams are going to be using them for the first time. They're going to be brand new, right? Correct. And people can put in a deposit, right, $100. Mm-hmm. And they then will save $400 on the grill, right, on the monolith. Correct. And they're basically, they're getting a brand new grill. Yes, that is correct. So yeah. this is the lowest pricing you will ever see. You've got a cook team that cooks on it for just a day. My crew comes in, they put out the fires, clean it out, they load it into your vehicle, and you're going home with a monolith that I think of it as, you know, you have a cook season it for you. Right. Ready to go. on the uh, website here Monster Savings the discount's so big it's it's scary (laughs) (laughs) and people uh, for out-of-towners if you're coming here for the uh, event there's actual hotel recommendations right on the site so it's uh, not too far from uh, where the event's going to be held so please uh, if you're in the area or you're going to come in for it come on down yes thank you so much and the biggest um, thing that people need to be aware of is you do need to purchase membership tickets to this event in advance. They do sell out. Last year I sold out about two, three weeks before the event. Now this year is going to be even bigger and better, so I am capping it at a larger audience, but there are no ticket sales at the door. I've already sold several hundred, so now is the time to gather up your friends, make the road trip, come check out our factory where we make nearly all of our parts that we use in our barbecue controls, and we still fully assemble and complete all of our controls at our factory in Pennsylvania, and it's just a really great time, great time for the kids, plenty of kids' activities. And then there's also everything for the adults, too. And if you do buy an adult membership ticket, there are five adult beverages included with that ticket with a proper photo ID. Excellent. 
And again, the date of the event is Saturday, October 12th, 2019. And Lisa, again, give us the uh, address of the event. It's 359 Ivy Land Road in Warminster, Pennsylvania, 18974, and it's not too far from the Willow Grove exit of the Pennsylvania Turnpike. Well, that's fantastic. We certainly look forward to yeah. going. We're excited. It's 10 to 4, everyone, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m., and I have a feeling you're going to want to be there for all the time. Absolutely, because in the morning, you're going to see breakfast foods. You'll actually see those breakfast casseroles, sandwiches. Lunchtime comes, you'll see pizzas, sliders. I mean, things you can't even imagine. And then through the day, it's just a variety of all different things. Cookies, cakes, breads. I mean, you name it, you're going to see it. And these cooks are so passionate about what they do. The whole idea is that if you're new to barbecue or you're interested or maybe you already you know, do this on a regular basis, if you see something, these guys and gals are so happy and, and thrilled. This is why they, they do this. Um, they, by the way, these, these cook teams, they buy all their own supplies. They come on their own accord because they just love what they do so much and they are so happy to share what it is they're doing, and here's the monolith. If you were going to cook this on a monolith, here's how you do it. Right. Yeah, the monolith is, if, if you're looking to purchase a grill and you have, you know, you want a smoker and you're like, oh, but I also want something that I'm going to grill directly over. The monolith does everything. You can smoke on it. You can grill directly. You can, I mean, it's, you don't need another grill. So that, that in itself is great. And then you're going to learn how to use it. And I, I'm excited. I can't wait for this event. Thank you so much, guys. I'm really looking forward to seeing you again. And it's just going to be a really great day. Thank you, Thank Lisa. Thank you, Lisa. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me back, guys. And I'll see you in a few Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Baseball and BBQ. And until next time, I'm Jeff. I'm Len. See ya. But one man claims his revolutionary redesign for the cup, called the Nutty Buddy, provides a better way to protect the plums. And that man is inventor and former Major League Baseball pitcher, Mark Littell. It's not so much what it's made out of, it's, it's more the design. Mark's so confident in the Nutty Buddy that he's willing to stand behind it, literally, and take a 90 mile an hour heater 